Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to Halfway There. This is Eric Nevins, your host, and this is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Today, guys, I know that we didn't have an episode last week, and due to some scheduling conflicts, I didn't actually get any interviews completed for you this week, but I have a couple of uh, conversations that are going to be really good coming up in the next couple of weeks, and so I hope you'll stick around. In the meantime, the archives are big enough that I think if you go back a little ways, there's something that you can enjoy and that's going to encourage you. In fact, today we're going to do a replay of a conversation that I did with a gentleman who had a really amazing story about how he came to Christ. Not just um, how he found Christ, but um, how the fact that, um, that you never quite know how God is going to use what he's asked you to do. And that if sometimes if you're just faithful to what it is that God has asked you to do, you may never see the results. You may never even know what happened or how God used it. You may think it's a failure, may think it's not worth it, but God uses it and he will. And so in this uh, conversation, that was really something that I took away from it. It's something that um, when people ask me which episodes of the show they should start with, I mentioned this one and I mentioned one other one, which maybe I'll replay some other time. But uh, this is one of my favorite conversations that we've done in the last couple of years um, because I just learned so much from it. So I'm going to leave you with this replay of my conversation with Dan Rudman and uh, his story that I called Ripples of the Gospel. I hope you enjoy it. there. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. This is episode number 41. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad that you have. This is a show um, all about uh, just how God sometimes does things that are unexpected and how he leads us through um, events that are unexpected. I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a moment. First, let me introduce myself. My name is Eric Nevins. I'm the host of Halfway There, and you need to know that you can get show notes for every single episode of Halfway There at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Please do check that out, especially uh, when we mention books or links or resources. That's all in the show notes. You can you don't have to try to remember it. You just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, and you're going to be able to find it. Scroll down a little bit, and you'll see all the most recent episodes there. I hope that you will do that and find it helpful. Well, my guest today is someone who shared, um, he shares a bunch of stories with us about what God has done in his life and where, he, where he's going. Um, and one of them that really struck me is the way that he comes to Christ. So when you listen to this, just listen to it because it's very interesting. He he uh, has the idea that maybe the, the guy who initially started the seeds, or let's say planted the seeds of faith in his life, actually maybe thought he was a failure. And I thought that was really interesting um, when you think about how uh, sometimes we do things and we don't know. We don't know what the result of them are. Maybe we even feel like we failed. And uh, sometimes God takes those things and makes something out of them, and we never know. 
but he knows, and it's all for his glory anyway. Uh, I hope that uh, you'll enjoy hearing that story and the rest of the stories that uh, my guest today has to share. This is my conversation with Dan Redman. I uh, currently live in Kansas, grew up in Michigan, and I've actually been involved with um, full-time Christian ministry for almost the last 30 years. So, not a pastor, I'm not on staff at a church, I'm kind of a street guy in the sense that uh, I travel and I speak and I'm out and about, I'm on universities, I'm in the jail every week, I'm with men in the community every week, and so I like to be out there with people in the in the marketplace of life, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's, what I do. It sounds yeah. like you have a kind of an eclectic ministry. Yeah, you know, it's all about talking about the word. Uh, I mean, if you got around me, you'd say I'm pretty much do the same sort of stuff. But it's helping people understand the gospel, the reality of Christ, answering questions in regards to that. Is this thing for true? How do we know it's for true? You know. Um, so I do a lot of that. And then bringing the bringing the scriptures to bear, um, speaking at different types of conferences and churches and that sort of thing. So I do a lot of that. Yeah, great. Well, let's go uh, back a little ways, or maybe all the way. So tell me, where did you grow yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in um, northern Michigan. You know, uh, I guess you'd think kind of a traditional blue-collar family. My dad was a police officer. My mom always was some type of secretary many times working in the, I remember working here in the court system and for different people. And uh, I was the only boy. I had a couple sisters. And so a lot of uh, life there was a lot about sports and the outdoors. You know, we had one little movie theater in town that might have a same movie for a number of weeks. And I didn't see them all till I was 18, and so <laughs> it was small town, northern Michigan, out in the kind of country a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So kind of rural. Yeah, a little bit. It was a small town, you know. So I lived in town, but it was just a small, small little town with you know one little high school and and uh, you know a small few blocks of a downtown Main Street. And yeah. So you know, I, it's not totally rural, but a small town and small town, northern Michigan. But again. When you think of, you know, what did a guy do on the weekend if it wasn't some kind of sports, it was going to be hunting and fishing for the most part. Right, which I know that's something that you still do that you really enjoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you come here, I'm sitting in my office. Yeah, there's lots of, you know, critters on the walls and <laughs> pictures everywhere and bow and arrows and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's that's my world. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> that's awesome. Which yeah. Kansas is a good place to do that, too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of known for that, and so yeah, I get I, I live out in the country a little bit south of town, and so I look out my window and can see you know critters, and I enjoy that. So yeah, nice. Are you one of those people that sees a deer and just thinks venison? No, not really. I I, I have kind of a romance with these rascals, you know. Like I really just think they're beautiful animals. I love being engaged with it. So I do enjoy meat. Don't get me wrong. We we, get, we put stuff in the freezer every year, but you know I kind of do like you know big antlers, and I you know I enjoy the whole the whole process, the whole thing. I love the conservation. I actually grew up. I would say I was a you know my family. 
uncles and that were kind of a, I'd say, you know, kind of traditional conservationists. It was something about being engaged with wildlife and enjoying that process and um, caring for it. You know, as a kid, we planted lots of trees in northern Michigan. We worked on fire roads. We, you know, we did a lot in the outdoors as we cared for it. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, so what was your, so what I'm curious about is where, when did you come to Christ? Was, was it, um, you know, yeah. your family or was it later? Yeah, no. So I grew up in a home again, you know, when I think of it, 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 it sort of felt like what I think of as this traditional, moral, um, uh, middle-class family. Um, again, my dad was a police officer, a very, you know, very honorable, noble policeman no, known for that, you know? And so I grew up with a kind of a, a moralist world where you kind of talked about God being out there somewhere, maybe, you know, like Christmas and Easter and maybe a few more times when I was a kid, probably by the time I was 14, I didn't really have 14 or 15. I really didn't have any engagement with the church whatsoever. And so if you were to ask me, I knew some of the you know facts about things but I really never understood there was this reality a person could actually have a relationship with Christ. And, and that, you know, so when you think of this, this message that goes to the world called the gospel, I don't think I could have told you that. And so there was something about being, you know, you sort of knew you were supposed to be this good person, I guess, you know, law abiding. And, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of my background. And so then I went away to the university and somewhere in my head, here again, I don't know if I ever articulated it, but somehow I thought, you know, success was being good in athletics, being good in academics, you know, somewhere in ring in my head, this idea of an academic All-American. And uh, I wasn't good enough on either of those fronts to accomplish that. I played a little bit of college football. I was a pretty good high school athlete, pretty good at, you know, academically. You know, I could get B's and a few A's, but I was never going to be the academic All-American kind of person. And so, you know, like a lot of freshmen in university, there was a sort of sense, I guess, I was kind of lost, wondering who I am and what I'm going to do with my life and what's the future. And so, you know, I entered the university that way, kind of floundered around my freshman year, chasing after wrong kinds of things and, you know, the weekend partying thing and all that goes with that. Some of it's, you know, probably embarrassing to some degree. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's something you just don't want to talk about anymore. But, you know, I, you know, I was, a typical guy like that that kind of, you know, again, I would have kind of stiff armed somebody probably talked, trying to talk to me about something, what I would have thought is religious, you know, I would have thought, nah, that's for, that's for certain kinds of people that, you know, they cut their hair, they can't listen to rock and roll and they can't have fun, you know, right? can't dance, can't dance or something. I mean, that would have been my, my mindset behind it. So there in the university, I was kind of floundering my freshman year near the end of my freshman year, uh, I walked through a dorm lobby one night, dormitory. I was walking through the lobby, and there was some a film being shown. But I remember it was one of our resident assistants was showing had this film being played, and it was this guy talking about some relationships stuff, you know, guy girl relationships. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And as I watched it, I can't even tell you why, but I got became very suspicious. Like, I bet this is going to get religious on me. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I'll bet this is, and so I don't want to hear that. And so I left. I remember leaving us again. This is, you know, I'm 56 now, so that would have been like 36 years ago. But I remember walking away from there, thinking I don't want to hear this. But I also remember going back to my room and kind of pacing around, thinking I wonder what he's going to say. I wonder if it's something I need to hear. <clears throat> and uh, at the time, I couldn't have explained what was going on, but you know, got 
God, God was doing something in my life and I didn't even know it. Right. And so I went, I, so, you know, I went back up and I stood in the shadows really, you know, again, I have often wondered that that guy that put that on, he probably thought the whole night was a flop because probably, you know, nobody was really interested or anything, but I was standing in the shadows listening to this guy talk mm-hmm. about, in fact, it turned out to be, I don't know if people know the name now, he's an older man now, but his name is Josh McDowell. Oh, sure. That was the, that was the film being shown. And, you know, I didn't know at that time who it was. It took years later, I started piecing it all together, you know, but at the time I'm standing in shadows watching this presentation about relationships. And then he, sure enough, he got into talking about, you know, at the time it would have been what I would have thought was religious things. He started talking about Jesus Christ and he started talking about the, the evidence for Christ. And in some ways, maybe he sought out to disprove it as a student or something. And it kind of backfired. He found out it was true. And, you know, so there was that part of his story, and then he talked about a person could have a relationship with Christ, and he kind of helped people understand what that meant, and they could actually put their trust in Christ right there, which, again, I don't remember all the words he used. I just remember, I don't know about that. I was really suspicious. And so I just kind of listened. But then when he was done, this was the thing that got me. He said, um, if you, it, you know, if you did actually somehow maybe respond to his decision, you know, this this time he led people to put their trust in Christ or something, uh, he said, find a Bible. And it seems to me, if I recall right, he said, uh, find a Bible and read the first three chapters of John three times to help you understand what this is all about. And it's funny now, because it's, you know, 30 some years ago, I remember thinking, well, I'm going to go find a Bible and read the contract. <laughs> I, I want to see what this has to say before I commit to anything. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I went and found the Bible, and um, see, this just tells you I didn't even know when he said, you know, this idea of a gospel of John. I didn't even know what that was, and so I started flipping through the Bible, and I somehow ended up near the end of the Bible in this thing, There's this, there was this John with a one in front of it, right. and there was a John with a two in front of it, this John with a three in front of it, you know, and I thought, well, there's three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he meant, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I didn't know. Right. And so I looked at it and said, well, it must be the first one anyway. And so I started reading that. I started reading First John. And to be honest with you, by the time I got through chapter three, I was totally confused. And I thought, well, this doesn't make much sense. It just, whatever he wanted me to read just somehow helped make sense. It didn't make any sense. To be honest with you, it really didn't. So I thought, well, maybe he wanted me to keep reading. And so I kept reading. <laughs> and I got to chapter four, and I really was struck. Like, like, you know, started talking about don't believe every spirit, there's spirits in the world, and, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And I thought, okay, so every spirit that actually believes that just Jesus came in the flesh. And, of course, I just heard this guy talking about how he found evidence for that, you know. Right. And so as I read through that, it talks about the Antichrist is already amongst us, the spirit of the Antichrist. And I just remember realizing, like, evil was real. That's really what struck me, believe it or not. Like, I was reading this one, like, evil's real. Wow. And somehow, somehow this Jesus being on this earth, actually walking, has some part in this whole thing. So these pieces are coming together for me, you know. And then, so I kept reading, and I got John chapter 5, 1 John 5. And, it, you know, it says, he that has the Son has a life. He that doesn't have the Son of God doesn't have life. And what that seemed very clear to me is was that like I'm on the side of this evil 
and I'm in trouble because I don't have the son. And somehow I've got to have this son in my life to, to, to be on the side of life. And, and somehow that just like made really clear sense to me. So I had, so I still didn't understand how this Jesus son thing gets into your life. And I, you know, the guy, I remember the guy saying, you know, led people through this, put your trust in Christ thing, you know, maybe a prayer. And I thought, well, I'm not sure I understand this. So probably for the next week, believe it or not, I don't even remember a week, seven, eight, nine days. I'd read, re reread this over and over and over. And I kept saying somehow, Jesus, if this is true, you got to like get into me. Like I've got to enter into something with you. And I'm not sure what that means. So I would wait for the thunder, light, thunder and lightning to come through the ceiling. <laughs> wait, you know, every yeah. day I was like, okay, okay, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. I like, I want this. I want this. And, and for days, I literally was just like, I want this. Whatever this is, I want it. Somehow it's connected to you. Somehow you come into man's life. Somehow you give forgiveness. I want this. And so I just, for days, just kept asking, kept seeking, kept looking. And then I don't know for sure. Eric, how it all played itself out, I think I can explain it now biblically, theologically, but I remember coming to this place, not some virtuous moral guy, I definitely wasn't that, but I just said, you know, if you got to kill me to give me this, if somehow you literally have to take my life to give me this, you can have my life. Mm. Like, I'm done. Whatever you got to do, whatever I got to do, my life's yours. And somehow in all of that kind of interaction with God over a number of days behind closed doors where nobody would know, I, re I came to this place. It was, I knew it was true. I knew it was real. And within days, really, I became like a different guy. Like I knew I was different. Like I got in a fight. I went down the hallway one day within that same time frame, that same seven, eight days. And now we're on to, you know, 10th day, 11th day, 13th, 14th day. And I got in a fight with a guy in the hallway, cussed him out, threw him around. You know, just being stupid. And um, I remember walking away from there, going back to my room, thinking I can't treat another human being this way. It's wrong. And I literally went down and knocked on the guy's door and asked him to forgive me. I mean, even using those words. And, I, and when I walked away from there, I thought, this is weird. This is not me. So <laughs> something's, hap something, something's happened to me. And then the final kind of part of my story there is I went back to this I always hung out at this particular bar and, you know, did stuff. Anyway, I don't need to get into that. But I went back to this bar where I always hung out in. And I'm already starting to think maybe I should live life differently. Because if this is true, and I think I've just entered into something with, with Christ that's new, I probably shouldn't live like I used to. And I went back to the bar I hung out in. And I was standing there, and the song came on, I'm on a highway to hell. <laughs> By yeah. ACDC. And everybody flooded out to start dancing, and I thought, it's true. I still remember that. I still standing there like, it's true. Like, it's absolutely true. And I was the same way two weeks ago. I, I, I would have went and danced and not thought anything of it. And I thought, somebody's got to tell him. So I almost jumped up on the table. I remember thinking, thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And so I literally ran out, like, like got out of there as fast as I could. And I ran back to my room. And again, I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't know what the Gospel of John was. But I still remember, you know, 30-some, whatever it would be now, 30 years ago, 36 years ago, saying, you know, I'm so convinced this is true. I don't even understand why I'm convinced it's true. But if I could spend the rest of my life talking to people about it, it seems like it's the only thing that makes sense.
And I've been doing that now for 36 years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That That's incredible. And it's interesting yeah. how God's call on your life even, you know, showed up that yeah. early. Yeah. See, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about the story. I could start crying because, Eric, I didn't crank this up. Like, it just, this really did happen to me. Yeah. And I can explain it now. You know, I can put words with it. We call this regeneration, the Holy Spirit. We call it calling. There's, you know, I can, but at the time, I didn't know. I just, this makes sense. Boom, boom, you know, and right. yeah. And so I thought, I mean, like, like early on, literally within a two or three week time frame, I came to know Christ. And, uh, and there was a calling right then and there on my life that took, you know, it took, 10 years to kind of unfold in the sense of finally moved me to a place in young married life and children and finally coming to a place where literally, if you will, vocationally, you know, you, you kind of go full time into this thing. So. Right. Right. So well, anyway, well, that's, that's yeah. great. Thanks for sharing that story. And it, I think it's, um, it's amazing to hear just the way that God, you know, you, kind of connected with you through a movie you didn't even really want to watch. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, kind of, right. I'm kind of like you, uh, sounded, you know, I'm a little skeptical of how effective those things are sometimes. Um, right. but you know, I, then I hear stories like yours and I go, ah, it doesn't matter what I think, you know, it matters what yeah. God wants to yeah. do with it. And so, you know, yeah. all right. Yeah, somebody yeah. feels like he's asking them to do it, go do it then have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I've often wondered. I've often, I actually tried to track down that. Um, again, I think in the day we would have called it a resident assistant. You know, he's kind of head of our dorm thing, and he put on this project and he showed this film. And I've often wondered. I mean, I knew his first name was Ed, and he was from somewhere in northern Michigan. But I've always wondered, like, you know, he did this thing, he walked away. Who knows? And here was this guy that. I mean, in the last thirty-six years now. I mean, I've been literally around the world telling people about Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and that guy probably thought, oh, that was a flop. I had five people show up to be interested. In it, right. And, <laughs> and he may not know until eternity the impact yeah. that his faithfulness had. Absolutely. Right. And that's, See, that's what a great message for all of us, right? You don't know what well, God's going to yeah. do. Right. And that's the thing where you have to come to grips with, you know, apart from the techniques, which, you know, some are only developed in our culture and things. I, the gospel, this message, really is this powerful thing that God uses to call people to himself, and you just never know. You know, the wind blows where it blows, right? I mean, you can see this all over Scripture. You have no idea what's going on. Right, <laughs> right. We try, to, try, we try to measure it, you know, like these stories you're telling, Eric. You have no clue yeah. to what kind of piece, pieces of the puzzle they mean for people. You know, a little link here, a little, you know, a little piece here. And it all adds up to this unbelievable grandeur story, you know? Yep. Yeah, so, well, that, that's yeah, what gets all, me excited. Yeah, yeah it's cool. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's just like, wow, right? So. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, so how did you grow from there? Because did you get hooked yeah. up with some believers there? Yeah, you know, I was still trying to figure that out. I did, though. I mean, I began to stumble into people that would tell me they're Christian, and I would get excited about that. And, um Right away, again, not that I really understood it, and I didn't. I hope you catch the uh, would it be the yeah the flavor of it would be like it wasn't like I was preaching down to people, but I began to tell people like no, this is true, this is true, 
And so if anything, I was telling people about this before I knew anything about Christian growth. I still didn't know hardly anything about the scriptures. I just said, this is true. Like, like, you know, and so, um, so I kind of stumbled into a number of different people that would be Christians and I'd talk to them and visit with them. And I still, it's strange for a number of years, I couldn't figure out how the church fit into it. Like I wanted to mm. talk to people about this, about Christ. And, and I thought like, there's this world out there I want to talk to. Can we go out there and talk to people? And then I would go to church and it was dear. Don't get me wrong. When I would go, I would attend and I'd learn things and I'd be excited. These people believe the same thing I do, but there was always this side of me that's like, but what about all those people outside of here? I mean, are we going to go talk to them? And that's all. I, I, that's where I was compelled to go all the time. And so I could. I always had this like tension, like, okay, you guys all come in here and you talk, but like, there's just like really, you know, if I could say, it, sinful people out there, and I want to go out there. <laughs> yeah. So, so I kind of stumbled through that, to be honest with you, for a number of years. You know, I met Christians, and they would kind of. Um, you know, we I, there were different times I'd be like in a Bible study with some guys, and, and that was part of it. You know, so even that, when you think of this idea of what some people in our culture, comp, you know, we would call it discipleship, Christian growth. There were pieces where I might meet with somebody for a time, and there were. There were guys that came to my life saying, hey, let's get together for a while and learn something, and that was really good. In fact, I met a guy early on. His name was Mark. He's in ministry, in campus ministry in uh, Michigan today even. But at the time, he was a motorcycle racer, motorcycle mechanic, and he said, hey, I would like to get together and do some stuff. And we had, a, a, I don't even know how many weeks. It was a summer. We talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we would go out and talk to people about Christ. And it was just really a pretty special time in life. So I had those little nuggets like that, but I still didn't understand the big church thing, like how does this thing work? And so I would go, but I never, you know, I just never knew how it worked for a long time. Like, I don't get it. Like, why don't we just go out there? And so, yeah. so, so I, was, I, I wasn't antagonistic. I just didn't know what to do with it. So, no, Well, what I hear in that is um, less, less even naivete and more just the enthusiasm that you had for telling other people about who Jesus is, which I think is, I'm guessing is probably one of your gifts, right? You're, would you consider yourself an evangelist? Yeah, yeah. See, we we could have a talk about that, but yeah, that's what I tried to shape and mold over my years, if you could say, my adult vocational ministry life is like, what is an evangelist? Yeah. And I never heard of an evangelist search committee. I joke about it. People laugh. But think about what what's a guy like me do? You know. So even early on, I would go look maybe like at a seminary, and I'm okay, but you train guys to be pastors. I don't want to be a pastor. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm too mouthy and crazy to be a pastor. You know, like. You know, as I get older and calm down in life, I probably could, but it's still not my—I still would rather go out. You know, I'm in the jail every week, for example. I'd rather go be with guys in the jail. Yeah. Yeah, which is your—that's what God's called you to do. That's how I made you. Yeah. So, yeah. So so that was always, from day one, that was in there. And it was just like, you know, I didn't crank it up. I tell people it's like a duck landing on a pond, you know. I'm just a duck. I just—I don't know. It's just what I do. (laughs) So— So, yeah, I guess growth was, I had people in my life that would sit down. We'd study some Bible for a while. I had some guys that would help me go talk to people about Christ some. And so that kind of was, there was no, you know, formal system of that per se. Does that make sense? You know, just different guys and kind of, you know, I had this guy and then another guy. So there were a handful of three or four guys in my life, probably over a 10-year period, that, that gave me input in my life. You know, you'd say mentoring, discipleship, you can call it what you will, and. And that was good. The other thing I would say, though, 
and I really do believe this, this is kind of even a theological persuasion to me, is that he that begins the good work will carry it on, you know, will carry it through. And, and so God made already rescued me, right? I didn't crank it up. He, he rescued me. And so he's, he was committed to my growth. And so, you know, I remember beginning to listen to Christian music. I can tell you today, certain early days of like contemporary Christian music, certain songs that actually were, you know, Steve Camp. Oh, yeah. You know, some of these early songs, you know, that were even evangelistic about, you know, you know, I run, a, I want to run a mission a yard from the gate of hell and all this stuff. You uh-huh. know? And I think all that stuff really did shape my who, life. Who did you like? Anybody else? Well, I remember Steve Camp over and over. Keith Green. Keith oh, Green, yeah. oh my goodness. You know, days of Keith Green, you know. <laughs> you know, when you look at it, it's like, it wasn't even the greatest music, but there was something in those messages that stirred us, you know. Yeah. I was so a little... Any, sorry, I was, I, was, well, I was into Christian music, too. I was a little later than you, probably, so... I was more into okay. like the hair bands like Petra and My Heart and DeGarmo yeah, okay. and they would, have been, yeah. they would have been my next wave. Yeah, they would have been the next wave. I mean, not ne- just next wave for, you know, generationally. But yeah, I, I probably started Steve Camp, Keith Green. But then, yes, there was Petra. Yeah. And was, yeah, some of those some of those groups started coming coming through during those days. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Okay. Anyway, I, yeah. you mentioned Christian music and I had to, had to talk yeah, about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I, I, I would think... Christian music had a great big influence on my life. Yeah. I would tell people that. Yeah, it, you know, that's part of God's discipling me. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting, right? Oh, using people who are using their gifts to disciple um, in ways that you probably just wouldn't expect. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely, absolutely, and that's so. I'm always cautious in the term discipleship, is there's certainly a part of a human person sitting down and helping somebody else grow. But to me, discipleship is just, you know, sanctification, and it's much bigger than just a person sitting down and going through a handful of lessons with somebody. That's, that, that's good. I mean, God uses that, but that's not all there is to it, you know. Right. And, you know, there's suffering involved. And, and we did. I mean, in fact, that would be part of a cool story if I could share it with you. Like, yeah. So I, I, I'm in the university. I come to Faith in Christ. I come home the following summer, and I'm invited to this basketball. I was a good basketball player, and I, so I was invited to this basketball tournament by a good friend of mine. Now, the year prior, just, I don't want to get confusing here, but the year prior, just before going to college, this friend of mine kind of quit hanging out with me and some of our buddies. We always would go party and do stupid stuff. This guy quit hanging out with us. And we thought it was because of his girlfriend. But what had happened is this good friend of ours that summer before I went away to college had come to faith in Christ. And that's why he quit hanging out with us. And I didn't know it. So, I go to college, I come to faith in Christ, and that summer, so I'm just a brand new believer, two or three months old in my faith, you know, and like I said, I kind of talked to everybody about it, so I, this guy asked me to go play basketball, <laughs> you know, literally totally laugh at this, in this basketball tournament, so we go play in this tournament together, and we're coming home from the tournament, and he says, uh, you want to get a beer, and I says, well, to be honest with you, Cardi, like, I don't get drunk anymore. Like, I came, you know, I, I started telling him about this relationship with Christ, and I walked away from that whole lifestyle. And I said, I'm not opposed to a beer, per se, but I like, I just don't do that stuff anymore. And his eyes got all big, and he said, well, Dan, that's what happened to me last summer. He starts telling me how he had come to Christ. Wow. And why, so this is a total kick. You're going to laugh about this. 
But he said, we got to go celebrate. So we went and bought a six-pack and celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> he says, we can drink, but we can't get drunk. I'm like, yeah, cool, good, you know? <laughs> we can drink the so, beer now yeah. that we're both Christians. Oh, so he, so he was there. You know, he was one of those guys in my early days. But, but truly, within a few years of that, just two or three years later, she would have been, yeah, two, three, four years later after that. Um, he was a young dad like me, their first, his first baby, young marriage. And he was, uh, he was killed on a construction site Ooh. and uh, the Lord took him home. Like, I mean, young guy, you know, 23, 24, 25 years of age. And, uh, I remember that, I guess what I, what I was thinking about when I shared that with you is when I think of discipleship, God uses all these things. He uses suffering. He uses life. He uses death. Yeah. You know, he used lots of things. We lost a child in those days. Actually, she was born and, uh, lived just a short time and died of birth defects. And, and there were lots of those kinds of things in, the, in a person's life that really did shape us. Yeah, well, so I'm really curious about that because I think going through those experiences, you're right, they shape us. I, I'm, yeah. Part of what I like to share is how, so how did they shape you? Can you, do you want to tell us that story? Or it's up to you, it's your um, story. But... Oh, you know, I have a lot of those chapters here. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> you know, I really do. With my wife and I have experienced a lot. I would say that. We've okay. had, we've, you know, even in the world realm of suffering, I'd say we've had some really, I think everybody probably has if you listen long enough. But um, so I, I, you have to be more specific probably for me, but I would say, I would say through this, yeah, I can't think of one thing, but you can ask me, but let me say this. Okay. One of the things that I've recognized through suffering is that it's it's that sense of like C.S. Lewis would write about this, like, like all the props have been taken away. All the incentives to follow God have been taken away. It's like, where are you? You've just taken a child or I have some other, I mean, I'm, I'm in a dark chapter right now in some ways with, you know, a difficult uh, journey with one of my children. And, and it's just awful. You know, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it, but there's these awful things. And, you know, we've had health things where I wonder, you know, the wheels were coming off. I was on the on the ground two or three days a week with a disabling illness for almost 10 years. And um, it's like you go through all that. I think this is really what it means, the testing of your faith. I don't think testing of your faith is as much. I think even technically I could exegetically do the process in the Bible with you. It's not so much like God's there going, oh, I'm going to test you and see if you can pull it off. Right. I think God pulls all the props away. And then you, you, I sit here and I go, I believe every bit is a, if not, I believe more now than I ever did. Like, I'm convinced. I, I, there's not a thing in my life that can, I, I, you know, I go to universities with atheist arguments leveled at me and asking me questions and this thing and that thing. I am so convinced of the reality of God. I am so convinced of who he is. I'm so convinced he's good. And yet, I mean, I, I felt beat up. And I sit here and go, there's no props other than it's true. <laughs> right. you know, I play to college and high school kids all the time. I'm like, there's only one reason be a follower of Christ because it's true because you can know it's true there's only one reason it's not for the you know the therapeutic benefit the props anything else though I could say those things are real you know God's done some really cool stuff but so through all that he's convinced me yeah well okay so is there a story that you could share about a time when you were going through one of those um, suffering events 
that God brought you out of it or showed you how faithful he was? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you one that's been pretty special. Um, without laboring the uh, the chapter, but it was about a 10-year chapter where um, in some ways it felt like we had we had climaxed at a place of ministry. Not climax like to go down, but like at the place we'd always dreamed I'd be in ministry in some ways. There were these opportunities, things were happening, I was being invited to do things, I was traveling. There was just a great time. I had five little children. And all of a sudden, I suffered this really difficult health stuff. It was an inner ear disease that literally caused me to get violent vertigo, knocked me right down on the ground, and I'd be laying on the ground spinning. And there was no real answer for it. And I went to Mayo Clinic. And it was a long journey that, you know, at any minute, I literally could be laying on the ground. So it's not a seizure, but it, 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 you might as well be having a seizure, you know? Yeah. And, and you could lay there for hours. So how do you go to a Walmart? This happens in the middle. Of, how do you do this if you're driving in the middle of traffic? How am I going to live life? You know. And so it it, it basically stopped me traveling overseas. And it felt like my life came to a halt, and um, went into depression. Dealt with some anxiety, you know, like panic attack stuff. And yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm this six foot four, athletic kind of 220 pound guy. A lot of probably pride too, but just like. You know, that stuff doesn't happen to me, you know, and I'm I'm disabled and depression, me, depression, no, not me. But yeah, it was it was real. Like I was in trouble. And so I had a summer there where I had to just stop everything. And I had to get some medication to help my brain and I had to try to figure out what to do. It didn't the summer didn't solve all the vertigo, but I literally couldn't function almost for about six or eight weeks. And I laid in the dark during that time and I would just read my Bible and lay low and, you know, I thank the Lord. I had people who cared enough for us to keep, you know, like supporting our ministry and giving me that time to, you know, recover. Not, you know, I just, again, it was just the hand of God allowing me to be able to do that. But there was one day, this is, this is an amazing story to me. Like my one daughter was four at the time, my youngest. And uh, she asked me if I could push her on the swing so I went out and started pushing around swinging in her backyard. I live in the country and it's a nice little backyard. It's kind of pretty here. And so I'm pushing around the swing. And truly, Eric, it was the only thing I could do that day. You know, other than lay low and look at my Bible. I mean, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. And I'm pushing her on the swing. And it was as the Lord probably spoke to me. You know, I'm cautious about running around saying God said this to me and that to me. But there was these kind of words that came to my heart from the Lord that said, this is what I have for you today. If I, and, I, and this was the burden I had. If I wanted you to go to Far East Russia and Habarus, but I'd, because I'd been in a place like that, and if I wanted you to go there and speak to thousands of people, I could easily put you there. But this is what I have for you today is to push your daughter on the swing. And it just, it just struck me. Like, God is in control of my life, and he causes shots. Can yeah. I trust him to do that? Now, here's what's the kick about that. That daughter, you know, and all my kids are amazing. Even the one we were working through stuff with, they're gifted. They're beautiful kids. Love them all the same. But this twenty, this is, this is one's 20 now. And, and, dude, in the last few days, she's been in Sri Lanka. She shares her faith with everybody that breathes. 
and then talking to the girls that are Hindu and all sorts of religious girls and everything else. She's like, I call her a shivangelist, you know, <laughs> she remembers that. Wow. She, re- she remembers me pushing her on the sink. She remembers me telling her the stories of God speaking to me through her, just her passive life of being who she is. I mean, she didn't do anything, but just be who she is. And God ministered to me through her and really saved my life. Because, I mean, I was I was that low that summer. I could have thought, you know, my family would do better without me here. Yeah. And there's a sense with that she saved my life without even knowing it. That was an amazing moment. And so to this day, I look at her and I think, man, what? Here's somebody in, you know, Sri Lanka today hearing the gospel. And if I wasn't there that day to push my daughter on that swing, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And so the most important task that God had for me that day was not preaching to 20,000 people in the streets of Habaris, Far East Russia. It was pushing my daughter in the swing. And in God's economy, it was the very thing, the most powerful thing that could have happened in the world. Right. Yes. Like, wow. I was wondering about that. What your, what your big takeaway from that was, because it's, yeah, it sounds like it was, if I can paraphrase or I don't want to put yeah, words in your mouth, on. I guess, but it was that, Hey, wherever God wants me to be is the place I need to be. And it, this, this investing in my, in my child is the thing I I'm called to do today. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and I would just add to that. The word to me that comes to me is faithfulness. Yeah. I'm just called to be, I'm called to be faithful and, and the agenda, you know, it doesn't mean we don't strive and, and, and try to do well for the Lord. But at the end of the day, the agenda is the Lord's. And he stopped me. He, he, he pulled the rug out from beneath me and sat me on the bench. He says, you're going to sit on the bench for a while. Because I have some things to teach you. Yeah. And, uh, and he did. He did. You know, so it was hard. It was dark. But, wow. And there's other things, too. We could talk about sure. other things. There were things that God, there were things that God taught me in those days that he had to slow me down because I'm such a hyper bugger. You know, just to learn, like I didn't want to waste that time. I know that sounds weird, but when I was laying there, there were things I was contemplating, studying, and reading that really have shaped my life and ministry to this day. Yeah. So, do you remember a couple of those? So that, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I could tell you that too. Yeah. Well, for example, um, a, a man that I was always fascinated with because I thought he had such a pulse of the culture was Francis Schaeffer. Oh, you yeah. Know, have you heard of Francis? Okay. So, so I've studied probably, I can't say everything Schaefer's written, but i got a whole library of Schaefer here. So I was studying Schaefer a lot during those days, thinking a lot about that stuff, about culture and life. And, and one of the things that struck me during that day is I couldn't, it's hard to explain other than, you know, because my brain was so broke, my emotions and brain were so broke. I couldn't absorb, I couldn't do a lot of abstract thinking as much as you might think. Like, even to read the Bible and close it, I, I probably couldn't tell you what I just read. It was like it was gone. And it was real hard. Um, but one of the things that struck me during those days is I would lay there in my bed. And I remember the day I lay there. I still can remember this picture. of the, the Bible was laying on my chest, and I was laying on my bed in tears, wondering what the Lord was going to do and how I was going to take care of this you know, lovely little family. And, and I was trying to read some of the things that Schaefer was talking about. And it struck me that God had spoken to us. I could have told you that before, but it was like, no, like God really spoke to us. Like, like we really, truly have a sacred 
transcendent word from the God of the universe. And whether I ever fully get it figured out wasn't the issue. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, yep. we can wrestle. Just the fact to know that he did, that he has, saved my life Yeah. in another way. Because what happened that summer, you know, and again, I say save my life, it sounds dramatic. I guess there were two or three of those things that summer. But seriously, I was laying there thinking, I was kind of lost in my head. And maybe I think too much. This is, you know, kind of philosophical. But I'm like, how do you have a reference point for anything? If there is no transcendent voice, if there's no reference point outside of my own head, because my head was jacked up. Right. And I knew it was but how how do you get outside of it? Like I'm like I'm lost in my head. I'm you know I'm panicking. I'm having thoughts. And I'm like I can't control this. Like my brain is broke. And if there's no reference point outside of my brain, I'm in. We're all in deep trouble. You know, and that's that's nihilism. You know, that's Nietzsche. That's all these guys. I and mean, that's where they end up. And it's like it's true though. You follow that track far enough. How do you how do you know anything? And it just it deeply struck me during the during a lot of those dark days that, that God had truly spoken. And that's been a anybody that gets around me knows that that's the theme of everything I'm always talking about. That that God is really there. He's really spoke spoke to us. And that's where I begin every discussion. Doesn't matter what you think you think about biology, social, you can think about anything, any field of study you want, and you got to go back and say what you what you're going to be your beginning premise. Right. And it's not me. I think God is there and I think he actually really spoke. Yeah, that's an, it's interesting. It sounded to me like you got God really took your view from looking at scripture to looking at him as yeah, as the he, speaker. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's um yeah, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, and I would say he did speak to us. And he, and there's things here that we need to get in and deep. But behind that is really God. Right. And so I try to convince even young people, I do a lot of like apologetic kind of discussion with, listen, whether we can figure out all the creation stuff or not, really, like, like that would be an example. And like, the fact is, is God is there. He spoke and he really created this thing. Now we can wrestle with the facts. We can wrestle with the science. We can wrestle with the text. But you can have an assurance and a confidence that God is there and he spoke. Whether we know how old this thing is or not old this thing is or what happened or didn't happen, and I think there's a room to debate that stuff. But whether we ever get that all figured out, it doesn't take away anything from who God is. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I would say I have this utter confidence somehow. I still have questions, but I have this utter confidence that he's there, that he is who he said he is, that he spoke, that he's good. And it isn't because I've had this all this warm, fuzzy feelings and all these things went my way. You know, I've had some really difficult stuff, and I'm like, okay. He gives and he takes away, and I don't mean it in a stoic way. I've had a lot of tears, you know, but mm -hmm. but it's stable. It's stability. It's confident. Right. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I'm always really struck by. Um. You know, even the fact that you wouldn't have this confidence if you didn't go through that period of time that was really shaky, you know, like if, if you hadn't had to trust God through that or had those moments when you had to just yeah. think about it, you wouldn't have today the confidence that he's going to bring you through some of the stuff you're going through. Right. Um, or even even I think the the you know, the ability to speak to other people from that confidence, you know, maybe maybe you wouldn't have that. Yeah, I think you're right. 
and again, I wouldn't know anything other than what I've experienced, right? But sure. but I would tell people that's that's sort of when you ask these questions of me. I'm like, yeah, I I think what suffering does. I think at least for me, this journey. Obviously, again, I'm at this place where I can say, hey, lost my health. You know, I've had some difficult relationships. I've had some really, you know, I've lost a child in my hands. We had another child in our home that my my wife, you know, basically we. It wasn't a full foster care system, but it was a child that we kind of quasi adopted in our home that died in our home while my wife was watching her. Mm. You know, I, my, my best friend, best man at my wedding, as I've already shared with you, die a few years after we kind of reckoned, came back together as friends. And I could go down a list of stuff like that for you. And like, I'm just totally convinced of who God is. It's amazing. I'm, I'm amazed at myself, sort of like, yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. There's, no other, there's no other answer. You can level it. I'm serious. I. I've had, I've heard all the atheist stuff and, you know, I can, I'm like, those guys can level questions all day for every one question they level at me. For the most part, they're borrowing from the worldview anyway. They've got 10 or 15 they're going to have to answer. I'm like, I'm just, you know, again, I just sit here and go, you know, two plus two is four. And, you, you know, you can keep trying to convince me and I'll try to listen. I want to be a teachable guy even as I get older, but I just don't think it's five or three. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm convinced God's there. I'm convinced He spoke. I'm convinced who Christ is. I'm convinced He walked on this earth. We can actually know Him and have a relationship with Him, experience forgiveness, and experience His presence. Yeah. There are other things. Yeah. yeah there are things I'm not. Sure, you know, the things I'm not sure of. Well, sure. Well, yeah. You know, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, take us up. So I want to go back to your story a little bit. Take us up from. Um... Yeah, uh, like from I guess maybe that point. I don't, I don't quite know the the timeline, but take us from from that point to today and to how you got into your current ministry. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I can do it quickly. So I came to faith in Christ. You know, um, went, you know, was done at the university. Actually, at that time, it doesn't matter. I didn't fully finish a degree yet, but I went and began to work in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with the Amway Corporation in downtown Grand Rapids in their hotel industry. And worked there for five or six years, so from basically 20, 21, 22, till like 25, 26. And during those years, you know, I was meeting with these different guys, growing, uh, wondering, okay, I started a young family at that time. My wife was a nurse. I, this job I had was just really, there were just awesome people to work for. It was a great experience. Um, but all that time, I was thinking, okay, what, what am I going to do for the long haul? And I was thinking about different things, but back in the backdrop of my mind the whole time was like, I just really want to talk to people about Christ. <laughs> I, mean, I really I remember like everybody would be around me like Redmond's and he's like, this is the, you, again, the ducks landing on ponds thing. So I looked at seminaries and I looked at different things. And I, I really like, I like all that stuff. I like the stuff you learn, but I want to go talk to people about Christ. And I really, at that time, just, you know, I'm sure there was people out there that could have helped me, but I didn't know where to go for that. So I ended up at the age of about 26, 27 or so ended up, by going on staff with the um, Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, but not on a campus, but working in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the community, in the kind of the business community, if that makes sense. So I'd go into offices yeah. and meet with guys, and, you know, restaurants and coffee shops and share Christ with guys and learn how to do basic follow-up with guys. And that's kind of how I began life in that world, that ministry world, you know. And so... 
Um, I did that in Grand Rapids, Michigan for almost six years. So kind of into my early thirties. And, uh, during that whole time, so my family's developing, my wife and I, you know, we're growing. We've been married about 10 years. And uh, see, at that point, I guess four children, lost one child during the time, so we actually delivered five. And then um, I still had these great questions, like, so what's it look like? This would be the seminal question in my mind is, what's, what, what's it mean to be an evangelist? And what would it look like to be an evangelist in this culture? You know, well, historically, what was an evangelist? What, biblically, what is, what is this? You know, we have these systems, and I could do the systems, and I learned tremendous skills from the systems and the techniques. But, but beyond that, what 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 is this? Yeah, you know, I'm not a Billy Graham. I'm not in a stadium. Again, I've shared with you. You know, I I like being with the everyday guy on the street, sharing with him, talking with him, engaging him. I can do the bigger talk thing, which I enjoy. But what's this look like? So um, in, in our early 30s, we had this opportunity. Um, actually, I had a class within Campus Crusade. I was at a place one summer. I had a class with a guy by the name of J.P. Moreland. Oh, yeah. That, that absolutely shaped my life. I mean, like, just... And he was in my apartment complex, and I went and met with him and said, I need to talk to you about this. And I began to really realize there's a whole life of the mind, life of formation is this thinking well and understanding knowledge and understanding how to communicate these things. And so I left that conference with four kids and a wife thinking, how in the daylights can I go get more education? <laughs> so we ended up by going to seminary in Southern California. We left, uh, I was 32 and we were still on staff at Campus Crusade and they gave us this kind of I don't know what they called it at the time, but they allowed us to, within the under the umbrella of Crusade, as people on staff of Crusade, us, we were assigned to go to seminary. And so we spent the next three years in Southern California in seminary. And uh, I, I worked on a master's degree. Same thing. It was like there were a lot of pastoral classes. I wasn't really interested in that. So they actually let me kind of develop my own hybrid even then. Oh, nice. you, start getting, you got to start getting a sense of my personality. I'm like really outside the box all the time. Yeah. <laughs> And it was really, you know, for lack of better word, you'd call it, you know, uh, a master, you know, a master degree um, in um, uh, call it evangelism, where the work of the evangelist and church renewal. I mean, that's really what it was. So there's some apologetics there. There was different kinds of evangelism, history of evangelism, leadership, leadership stuff, and then of course all the core stuff, you know, Greek and you know, New Testament, Old Testament, all the theology stuff is the core. And so with that. Um, I was 35, and I said, I want to go try to, what's going to look like to be an evangelist in a local community and have an influence on that community for the long haul. That's what I was after. So we moved here to Kansas. Well, how, would be how, how did you choose Kansas, though? Yeah, that's a good question, too. <laughs> I don't know if I, I mean, tell a young guy to do Yeah, if I could, question. If I could choose a lot of places, I'm thinking San Diego, I'm thinking oh, yeah. Orlando. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. I mean, like I was like here I was in Southern California and I'm an outdoorsy guy. Believe me, I was looking at Colorado and Denver and uh -huh. Montana. And I'm mean, like, I love the mountains, you know, and it was it's almost comical. OK, so I had an acquaintance. It's really just a, a guy that I knew from seminary, I had one class, but didn't really know him. And he said he told me about this area. And I'm like, really? And so I came and checked it out, and you'd think, why would anybody move here? But here's the deal. I was looking for – there were a handful of things I was looking for. I wanted to be someplace where there was a high influence of, if you could say this, the, a secular world. It's a thing that Schaefer had been talking about for years. 
what's it look? A, you know, a truly secular place. Certainly, East Coast, West Coast, you can find that stuff. Big cities. But I wasn't a big city guy. But is there a place like that where it's not churches climbing on top of each other? There really is a tremendous need to bring the gospel to bear in a secular world. And somebody had told me about Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas, where the University of Kansas is. And there were these little, I don't know where they came from. There were these little, uh, what's the word? Little names for Lawrence, Kansas, you know, the Berkeley of the Midwest. Yeah. You know, the Berkeley on the prairie kind of thing, you know, and again, I don't know where those came from, but people would say that. And I came here and I sure enough, I found it out. I'm like, look at this small city, 30 miles west of Kansas city, hundred thousand people. And there might be 10 or 15,000 people in church of this, you know, of any kind of church in this city. And so for the most part, it's a very dominated university town, very, you know, maybe a little bit less radical, but very, very close to like a boulder. Yeah. Right. You know? And I thought, huh, what would it look like to come here? And, you know, I was close to the center part of the country. So I'm like eight hours from a lot of different places where there are people they wanted to kind of, I wanted to associate with and develop this work. So it was kind of a hub a little bit. So there was that. And so, you know, uh, honestly, this is, this will sound really weird, but I didn't trust myself moving to the mountains because I thought I might want to go there for the wrong reason. And I'm not so sure that's wrong for people, by the way in my life now, but at the time I was very suspicious of myself. So I thought to move to Kansas would have no other motive, but this unique setting to be in ministry, because there's no other reason to come here. Gotcha. <laughs> so I told my wife about it and she had never seen it. We talked about it and, and you'd have to know my wife who was very geared towards our kids and, and very different personality than me. Um, very wise, godly woman. And she, I remember when she said it, she said, uh, if we don't do this, we'll always wonder, should it? Hmm. I really, I think we need to go and do this. And so we really parachuted in here. We pioneered in here with one acquaintance and started from scratch. Wow. Rented a place, moved my family here. And that was 21 years ago. Let's see. This is 17, 22 years ago. <laughs> and I just went into this community and began to pray and ask God to open doors. And first month I was here, I met a guy, had a guy come to my rental house to work on a, a you know, the, the landlord, the person that owned the home, it was a problem in the house. And the guy came to work on the house, turned into me, had a conversation with him. And within days, that guy gloriously came to faith in Christ. I mean, to this day, he's in our church, walks with God. And he was a rat, kind of a, hell-raising, motorcycle-raising, beer-drinking guy here in this community. And I wasn't even here just a matter of weeks, and he comes to faith in Christ and opened up a whole world to me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so that that might be confirmation that God was calling you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that happened in a few different scenarios, literally in the first few weeks I was here. And I was like, yeah. And so it's, that started this ball rolling, and, uh, and I've been here ever since. Yeah. Cool. Well, you do a lot of a lot of really interesting ministries, like you said. You, you visit the prisons, and um, yeah, and you do. Tell me about some of the other stuff that you do. Yeah, I love. Um, you know, it really comes down to as you look at a community, you see these different areas, and I'm always just burdened about how do we take the gospel there. So even some people think you have a prison ministry. You know, I, I don't even think of it that way because I really don't. I just go there every week. I have for 18 years guys pile in a room and they can ask me anything they want, 10 to 20 guys every week, pretty much. 
and they can, I don't, you know, is the Bible for real? Is this baloney? Uh, I've read this. What do you think about this? And by the time I'm done, my whole goal is get them to one point to understand the work of Christ, and they need to turn from their sin and trust Christ. And I've been doing that for 18 years. I do it with business guys and relationships. I do it in different kinds of studies. And, of course, the university here, and that has opened up. And I do a little bit of itinerant. Historically, you know, I travel. Like next week, I'll be in North, North Dakota speaking on campuses. And that's more of kind of the apologetic kind of thing, you know, where I'll, I may give a quick talk on, to, on the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, why this is real, and then open it up for questions and, you know, might be like a panel discussion. I've done panel discussions with, you know, Islamic imam, me and Jewish leader, uh, our Jewish scholar. I've done, you know, answering questions like that, speaking to students. So I see all these different avenues, and I'm always looking for how can you take the gospel there? How can you take the gospel there? How can you take the gospel there? And so, so it's either training guys to take the gospel somewhere, helping somebody that's just beginning to walk with Christ get connected to the church, or actually taking the gospel somewhere. Yeah. That's, and, you know, and, and of course, in our, our new world that we live in, which isn't necessarily new, again, guys like Schaefer and others were telling us about this, but, you know, we live in a secular society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pluralistic, it's relativistic, it just is. I mean, yeah. what it is. So how, do you, how do you bring the gospel to bear on that? Yes, we can lament the fact that it's not as Christian as it once used to be, and I'm doing scare quotes around Christian because I'm not sure it was ever as Christian as we right. would yeah. like to remember. Yeah, yep. But we have we have to deal in the re- with the reality of who the people yep. are around us, or we don't care yep. about them, or we don't love them. You know, like you just yep, yep. you That's have it. to do that. It's like, yeah, you know. So so when I hear people lamenting and I hear this politics stuff, I'm like, you know, in my mind, if I could say it, you know, you could say the train left the station, but like, no, this this is what it is, and we need to learn how to do this. And you know, guys like Tim Keller were doing it in New York City, you know, and and and. and trying to say, hey, we need to get good at this yeah. in, in, the, in the cities and in our university cities, because it's going to spread everywhere. Yeah. Okay. You know, so yeah. so I want to, I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to ask you one more question. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. What, what would your advice, because not everybody has this gift that you have. So what would your advice be to somebody who maybe just, you know, they get up every day, they go to work, they come home, they yeah. hang out with their family. And they go to yeah. church on Sunday or maybe once during the week or a Bible study or something. How yeah. would you, what advice would you give them for just being a, a faithful representative of Christ in that area? Yeah. And maybe to even open up some conversations in a, in a way that people would respond to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think we have to learn to ask people questions. You know, we have to love people enough to ask them questions about themselves. You know, in fact, some of my kids, Dad, do you talk to everybody like this? I go and go to gas stations. Like those gas stations I go in town, I'm going to go to the same gas station for one reason, because there's people in there that I've met behind the counter and got to know a little bit. And it's amazing to me, you know. How are you doing today? Oh, my leg's hurting. Why is your leg hurt? Next thing you know, they're going to tell you all about their health history, all about their life, just by asking two yep. or three questions. One question, and right? Yep, and in there, sooner or later, you say, well, you know, have you ever thought about spiritual stuff at all? Like, have you ever, when you think about pain and, you know, your face and this stuff, has is, is God ever come into the picture? The reality of maybe there's somebody out there? And and I could, you know, we could talk more about that, but learning to ask people questions like that, it's just amazing what people will tell you. Yeah. 
and 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 you show you care. And you know, there's a lot more to that. But but offering people questions, or hey, I see you have that little cross on your neck. You, have you ever thought about what that means? I mean, I'm just wondering what that means. It's amazing what people will tell you. Yeah. You know, I say, you know, you know what it historically represented is a real guy that walked on the earth who actually claimed to be God. Did you know that? It's an amazing thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of look at you, you know. And so my point is, is yeah, um, there's something about uh, loving people. I, I would actually say that there's something about loving people enough ask questions and probe life a little bit and learn how to do that. And you don't have to be crazy about it. You don't have to be weird about it, you know? And, um, right. And then, and then just listening to the answer and letting them be heard. That's so powerful. Oh, man. It just opens the doors and then you have a place to set a little thing. I think that's part of understanding the nature of witnesses. And that is, Eric, like, like in many cases, I'm not going to give the, how do I say it? I'm not going to give the whole thing. I may plant one little seed, one little thought. One, have you ever thought about maybe like the guy that represented that thing really walks this earth and he, I mean, it's like real. If that's all it is, like, like God can take that and do stuff with that. Yeah. And if we were all doing that, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and then I believe God weaves all that together. I believe in a sovereign God who actually weaves that whole thing together. Yes. And so... <laughs> I'll just close with this. I think that your story is proof of that. One right. guy, right, sharing a Josh McDowell yeah. movie. Yeah, he tried to do this thing and, you know, probably who, didn't, again. Didn't, had no yep. idea that that guy had was no going to use you this way. Yep. And literally from that one little thing, and I'm not, again, not because I'm special, but literally. I was in Ethiopia last summer, Egypt. You know, I've, I've been, I go to lots of different places in the world. There's people all over the world who've heard the gospel because this guy, probably 21 or 22 year old guy showed this old little film in a dorm lobby and probably had five or six people showed up and thought it was a big flop. That's <laughs> awesome. Goes, Isn't that, and it just puts God on display. No man can take credit for anything. Right. And so in this community, that's what I, even my work in life, I'm like, I want to, I want Christians to see this. I want to, I'm going to engage this. And I couldn't begin to tell you. I could tell you lots of stories of people I've met in different places. They're like, I want to tell you something. I ran into you. You said this to me. I'm like, really? I did? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know Jesus today because you came there and said that. I'm like, really? Wow. You know? And, and so it's, a, it's, it's this incredible adventure God's called us to be a part of. So praying and giving and being faithful and asking questions is what I would say. Oh, awesome. Wow. Well, thanks so much for the time, Dan. I appreciate it. Hey, okay, let me, well, is there, you. actually, before you go, one more yeah. thing. Is there any, um, like, how could somebody get in touch with you if they yeah. wanted to, or do you have a website or? Yeah, you know, I'm working on a better website, but to get access to me, you could go to, um, you know, the ministry I'm a part of. And, it, and, you know, they need to come up to speed a little bit to get better, but you could track me down at AFCI, A-F-C-I dot us and you would see my name on there dan rudman r-u-d-m-a-n and there'd be some links there with my you know my cool. email and that sort of thing uh, i'll just i can even say that to you right now dan rudman my name at usa.net perfect well i'll link you know, that up I, and and if people want to yeah. if they're curious about this they can reach out to you yeah and the only other thing i would tell you is there is over the last years i, I talked to a lot of people about you know, over these years of Christian growth, 
and I don't know if you want to link this up on there, but um, some people challenged me over all these napkins I draw on and mm-hmm. <laughs> bars and grills and draw on stuff. And somebody challenged me to put stuff on paper. So I did kind of the key things I talked to people about. And a friend of mine that took all that and put it into like this computer thing, app thing, it tells you how low tech I am, but like you can pop it up on your phone, you can put it on your internet and it's, it's you like Y O U disciple, like the word disciple, you disciple, no spaces, you disciple dot me, M E. And it's just cool. like foundational Christian stuff. Like, but I would tell anybody, if, like, personally, you go through that, you want to sit down with somebody and help them grow, a dad wants to sit with his kids, and if you got that stuff nailed down, you'd be light years ahead. Very cool. I hadn't heard of that, but I will definitely link well, to that. It's in the... all kind of new, but it's, it's kind of interactive. You know, it's got the scriptures. It's got some YouTube clips in it. It's just kind of a cool little deal. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I'll link it up. And so everybody can go out to the show notes and... Uh, for this page and you can find it there okay man this is awesome Dan thanks so much for sharing your story there brother I definitely appreciate your openness and and vulnerability there Um, you are just just a real inspiration so thanks for that friends I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Halfway There it's uh, like I said, episode forty-one. We're we're trucking along. We're definitely getting along in the number of episodes, and I'm glad to say that each one has a message, has something that will help you uh, just grow in your faith to trust God just a little bit more, or maybe with one more decision. That's my goal, and I hope that it has that effect for you. If there's a way that uh, halfway there encourages you, or leads you um, or helps you uh, figure something out or trust God in a certain way, uh, hey, would you let me know? You can do that at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Hit the contact button up at the top. That goes directly to my email, and I would love to hear from you, hear how God is using the show in your life, and um, if if you have any questions, I can answer those too. Hey, guys, I've got a great episode for you next week. That's going to be a good one. Until then, keep the faith, friends. Oh,